This is the Car Dealer Podcast driven by CarGurus. You want the best return for your advertising budgets and CarGurus Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast. If you haven't listened before, we pick our favourite stories of the week and ask an industry guest to choose which were the best. I'm John Ray, and joining me once again is the thinking man's Quentin Wilson, James Batchelor. Batch, lovely to have you. How are you? <laughs> I have to admit, I wasn't expecting that intro. I just thought it'd be the usual, usual pleasantries. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. But that was a lovely intro. Thank you very much. Oh, well, you're very welcome. How's your week yeah. been? No, it's been okay, actually. It's been all right. It's very busy. Um, but yeah, nothing nothing specific to say, really. Just, you know, all right. All right. Well, that's thrilling. Thanks. Yes. Okay, well, we'll hope the podcast goes on in much the same vein as that. <laughs> uh, our guest this week is Andrew Mortimer, Executive Chairman of Loopit. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Yeah, nice to be here. Lovely to have you. So for our viewers who aren't aware of Loopit, um, it's if I, I apologize if I butcher this, it's effectively a sort of platform that allows dealers to offer their own car subscription uh, services. Is that a good way of describing it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, dealers, OEMs, uh, you know, pure play. If, if you've got an asset and you want to provide uh, your customers with a different way of engaging with your you know, vehicles that subscription um, is you know, what we think to be the direction of travel for the industry and therefore we've got the technology to power it. Mm. It's very interesting because um, the majority of car subscription services that we come across I sort of think are generally taking customers away from dealers you know it's always a third-party company offering um, offering the cars and etc whereas this is kind of this is bringing dealers back into the loop really isn't it yeah very much um i my, my background is is dealer so trying to give them as many tools as possible to compete in you know a market that is shifting um and, and this really sits alongside you know their current um you know business model so you know it doesn't replace used car retailing it's really just another way of um, engaging perhaps a wider audience and many dealer groups have got great infrastructure you know they've got geography um, and they've got consumers that they can serve in a slightly different way that want different things now so uh, yeah we're, we're just providing that mm. it's interesting do you see it as a kind of uh not replacing new car sales or used car sales but a sort of almost like a new a new type of customer in a way yeah i mean i think that there's a high correlation between subscription and electric vehicles because you know uh, you know people are still uh, slightly nervous about going into an ev and therefore it's a really lovely way to test what that's like for you in terms of you know cost and you know the infrastructure and, and how it fits uh, so i actually think that you know some of the oems are already thinking about subscription services and they've been in the market what's interesting though is i think that with the right technology which loop it has you can actually go beyond new cars and also think used car stock you know, those cars that have sort of you know sat around collecting dust you know um that you don't want to send to auction because you don't want to lose too much so like, well, what else can we do with it well actually you know why not push that out there and a lot of the modeling that we've done 
shows that you can actually make, you know, potentially 3x what you can from just retailing cars because you've got 100% um, uh, service retention. You know, you're not, you don't have the marketing costs of reacquiring customers every four to five years when they swap. Um, you know, you've got a reason to talk to them as well every month because um, they're obviously paying, uh, you know, on a, on a staged basis. So we think it, you know, offers lots of advantages. So yeah, we, we see the market shifting. And I think some of the big consultancies have put sort of, you know, 40 billion on it as a sort of, you know, next 10 years um, in terms of market size. So I think if you're not looking at it, that would be odd. Um, so yeah, we think it's going to be a, 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 you know, a direction of travel for most people going forward. Uh, Andrew, do you, you know, um, we've 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 spoken a lot about car subscriptions over the past few years um because a few entrants have appeared and you know one particular entrant has actually you know was taken over by kazoo which i'll will probably come on to at some point during this podcast we always do we always talk about kazoo <laughs> <It's awesome>. um <laughs> but um my, my question is i mean do you you know there's there's a cost of living crisis at the moment people are analyzing their fin finances a lot do you think things like subscriptions and obviously car subscriptions they're going to take on a new kind of importance because people want a bit of flexibility to to have a car and then get out of it quickly or do you think uh, i mean is 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 the day of the car subscription about to sort of happen? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when you talk to consumers, flexibility is important. And I think one of the reasons that we've not seen it accelerate over the last few years is, is price. You know, if you look at um, you know, new car subscription models that some of the OEMs do, it's very niche market because you have to be quite wealthy for you know you're effectively paying for the flexibility. But when you when you extend that into the used car sector. Um, and you think about running these assets over a much longer period where depreciation curves obviously, you know, support uh, higher margins, it starts to make sense. Um, so, I, so I do think that it's, um, it's, it's nicely um, sort of, you know, twinned with some of the things that are happening, you know, interest rates rising today, another half a percent, you know, I think biggest jump in 27 years. Um, you know, people are going to want to, you know, come out of their assets, put that cash in the bank and, and look for flexible models. Um, you know, this doesn't have the same... Um, uh, you know, credit un credit underrating that you know um, normal finance does. So I think it's going to be popular for lots of different people for lots of different reasons. Now I think it is interesting what you say because I've I've written a lot about car subscriptions and lots of people ask me about car subscriptions and they say you know what's the difference between that and a lease and of course the flexibility option always the flexibility point always comes up. But I think up until now, like you say, particularly from the OEMs, it's the price which is a big hindrance to a lot of people um you know not naming manufacturers in particular but you know packages can start at like 600 pounds and go all up to 1300 pounds a month and you know that's quite a difficult the advantages we know the advantages they're very clear but it's it, that that price can be a very big stumbling block so it's interesting what you say about you know widening that out to used cars because i'm sure a lot of dealers perhaps haven't considered that in the past and perhaps they you know they might consider it in the future yeah, and I think if you look at OEMs like BMW, I mean, they came under quite a bit of stick recently for the sort of, you know, subscription on heated seats, which is probably a much longer conversation for another day. But, you know, if you think about a consumer that has a vehicle, you know, how often do they need it? You know, they're, they're insuring it for 365 days, often not using it. So the idea of flexibility and lowering your cost of, you know, access to that type of transport, I think only sits with something like subscription because, you know, lease... Um, is is several years, and that's why we've you know we're talking to lots of lease companies that are actually looking at you know, 
you know, you know, days, months, years. Let's let's give them the option. You know, how do you move between? Well, we've got a customer who um, actually forty percent of the people in subscription go on to buy the car. I mean, that's quite an impressive stat. Um, so I think that uh, yeah, that there's there's lots of reasons to to, to run it. Interesting stuff. Right. Well, we had better get on with it because I'm sure we will be talking much more about subscription services as we go on. Um, so if you haven't listened before, Batch and I have chosen our favorite stories from the car dealer website this week. We don't know what each other has chosen, although I can guess. And we're going to have a bit of a chat about each one as we go through. Um, at the end, Andrew gets to decide whose stories were the best and who is the winner. If you want to play along, you can tweet at Car Dealer Mag and let us know if you think we've missed anything. Um, on our last podcast, I'm afraid the winner was a Mr. James Bachelor, so I have to let him go first. I and I know exactly I what he's going to go for as well. Or at I least don't actually good. remember, actually, um, winning that. I'm, I, th I don't think you know which story I'm going to go for first, actually, um, mm -hmm. because I'm going to go with the story which we published today, which is um, new car registrations. Um, the SMT figures came out this morning um, and they showed that um, July new car registrations, they fell by 9%. It's it, it, this, this type of story normally gets lumbered with me. I tend to cover the SMT registrations every single month, which I have done for years. And I have to say, it does start to get a little bit boring when you're constantly <laughs> saying it's the biggest fall since 1992. It's the worst March on record, all of these negative headlines. So I tried to sort of spin it in a different way today, which was July recorded the smallest fall, fall in new car registrations this year. Um, so just over 112,000 cars are registered. Um, fifth month, month in succession where registrations fell. Um, and of course, it's the usual. I just, it's just they're they're almost becoming cliches now, isn't it? Supply chain, semiconductors, Ukraine, and COVID. Um, it's sort of like bingo, really, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. just it's just the same words being used every single month. But of course, it is true. I mean, those we're still feeling the effects of those big um, global uh, occurrences. Um, the thing I wanted to talk about, which uh, John, you know exactly what I'm going to talk about here because we've spoken about it before, but it's the, the best sellers list. I mean, it makes for amazing reading every single month. I mean, before COVID, you could have written um, the best sellers every single month and you could have written them the day before and then you'd, you, you know, the, the chances of you getting it wrong were slight, but every single month there's a change. Um, and this month it's in this Ann Kashkai, which was the best selling car. Um, and that was followed by the Mini and the Hyundai Tucson of all things. Um, Vauxhall caused a slump to sixth place. Toyota made a very rare appearance in the, um, in the top 10, not with just one car, but two, which was the Igo Cross and the Yaris. Amazing for the Igo Cross, because that car is effectively just launched. And of course, it's a city car, which we're told nobody wants. We, people don't want city cars. Um, but the amazing thing about the month was, of course, that Ford was nowhere to be seen at all. Not even the Puma, which is its current sort of bestseller, was in the top 10. And I know, I know it's not a usual uh, marketplace at the moment. We know Ford is prioritising profitable cars like the Puma, the Cougar, and of course the Transit. 
But I just, I, I still can't get used to the fact that Fiesta is not in the top 10 every single month. It just feels utterly bizarre. And I think this is something we've got to start to get used to where, the, you know, the old days of us knowing what were Britain's best selling cars is changing. And I don't think you can, you can sort of predict it anymore. What do you think, John? Well, I mean, it certainly livens up you having to write this story uh, every month, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. Yes. <laughs> bit of bit of interest going on. I mean, we should say the Puma is is the second best year to date seller. Is that right? Year to date, yes. So yes. it's still up there, ish. But yeah, I'm I'm as shocked as you that it's disappeared from this. Um, I mean, yeah, funnily enough, the Igo Cross was my real eyebrow raiser as well because for exactly that reason, it's not. <laughs> It's just a, a city car, isn't it? But I suppose it's the problem that there are no other, I could be wrong, there are fewer, much fewer petrol-powered city, well, any any city cars going now. You know, the the up and so on, have, have they disappeared? Have they just turned into EVs now? Am no, right? they're, they're, still, they're still around. But I, oh. it must... It must be because um, it's new. You know, Toyota is obviously talking a lot about it. There's probably a lot of marketing about the iGo Cross. Um but I, I, I don't know whether the cost of living crisis has an effect on this. People are still looking at cheaper cars. Although, having said that, the Iago Cross is not a cheap car. But um, no. I, I do I do wonder, though, how much of this is about desirability over availability. Mm. So I think, um, you know, people aren't prepared necessarily to have such long lead times and are probably more prepared to swap models um, you know, accordingly. So I think the list historically it's been about popularity uh, and now i think people are making different choices for different reasons yeah i think i think you are absolutely right there um uh and perhaps there's 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 great avail availability on toyota's at the moment um that's probably one of the key reasons why that they've got two models in the top 10 but um yeah, I mean, it's it is it is it is fascinating. I mean, Andrew, I mean, do you do you, do you sort of um, uh, remiss that? Well, sort of reminisce of those days of Forge being in the top ten, or do you think we should just get a life and just move on? Uh, <laughs> I want to be a polite guest, so I'll, I'll go with <laughs> I'll go with the former. And I think the other thing, just to add to the story, is that you know you've you got to think further down the road as well. You know, the, the twenty twenty registrations are going to be a problem for a lot of these dealers in 2023 most deals would have gone out on you know two three year pcp so the park's going to be impacted so again you know you people are watching registrations now but they've really got to start thinking about what does my business look like in two to three years time um because you know it, it, it's going to have a twofold impact new car registrations now and, and used car vehicle park uh you know then so it is an interesting story strong start james i think <laughs> no pressure <laughs> 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 I mean, the only thing I was going to say on this as well is if you're a Ford dealer at the minute, you must be kind of, I don't want to say despairing, but it's not great, is it? You know, it's such a dramatic change from what was what was the norm five years ago or even three years ago. You know, well, you I, could think, be... I, I think if you're a Ford dealer who's also got a Ford van centre who's selling transits, I don't think you're going to be particularly worried at all because the mm. transits is the best-selling vehicle in the, in, in the UK. But, I mean, if you are a Ford dealer, you know, there's, there's very little supply coming through. Ford aren't prioritising things like Fiestas and Focuses, which um, they do still appeal to a lot of people. Um, and, of course, there is going to be this, this onslaught of, of electric product coming through from Ford. But, you know, it's still a little bit, you know, way down the line. So, I mean, at the moment, I mean, 
I'm not entirely sure what Ford dealers are selling. I mean, if there's a Ford dealer listening to this, please do get in touch and tell us what you are selling because it would be fascinating to know, really. Um, Floor mats? um, Pardon? Floor mats. Floor mats, yes. Well, that's always a good one, isn't it? I I saw, I think it was MG, though, that had um, started contacting their dealers and and telling them those models that they could no longer sell and take orders for. So Mm -hmm. perhaps Ford dealers at the moment are still able to at least do that. So, yeah, maybe it's not such a bad position. There are a few, actually, aren't there? Sorry, I'm interrupting. I think think if you go on the Ford website, there are quite a few models where it effectively says, we're not taking orders for this. I think the Focus is one of them. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if the Fiesta is as well, but... Well, if you are a Fiesta customer and you've walked into a Ford showroom and you ask, can I have a brand new Fiesta, please? Um, They're probably walking out disappointed and they're going to the Vauxhall dealer down the road, aren't they? And going for a Corsa. I mean, it's... It is, I just, I just find the whole thing amazing. But for in Ford's defence, we're not, we're not operating in, in normal times. I know, but I still find it very extraordinary. But there we are. Certainly, right? Is it my turn? I think it is. Yes. Right. I'm going to sneak in with, I think, probably the best story that we've had in at least the last month. No offence to. Uh, you, James Batchelor, because you didn't write this. Um, but it's how a higher court ruling means effectively all franchise car dealer agreements, and I quote, could be ended in just a week. Um, and this is an incredibly complicated and very legally something story. So I'm slightly terrified of reading this out in case I implicate myself in some way. Um, but effectively, it's, it involves a dealer group in Scotland, Mackie Motors, um and we did touch on this a few weeks ago but effectively they're a among uh, other things they're a nissan and renault dealer um and the nissan and renault finance company which is called rci terminated their agreement to offer finance uh with seven days notice supposedly well if i, I won't go into the reasoning but they terminated it with seven days notice and there's a, a legal battle going on um about this to claim damages and it effectively paralyzed the dealer group overnight or you know within seven days because as part of that it wasn't just well firstly there's the finance issue of um if you're not able to access your uh incentivized finance through the manufacturer obviously that has a massive bearing because the offers aren't as good um i'm assuming you don't get as much money um and then there's all the other various things so rci renault nissan have kind of offered lots of other things other than finance, such as inventory management and all these various bits and pieces. And as part of that, they were cut off from that as well. So all these things along the lines of new customer orders sitting in an import centre, suddenly not able to be delivered. So it had massive, massive implications, but the it effectively kind of ruined the business. Um, and, you know, there's a, a legal battle going on as we speak. But the 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 slightly worrying implication for this across all businesses is the idea that you know your business your franchise business could be made worthless almost overnight just by you know a termination of agreement um that can be issued with seven days notice yeah i know and i i mean i do urge people to go and read the story on on the website i mean the 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 most distressing bit for me is just hearing kevin mackie talking about i mean obviously it's it's an incredibly uh yeah it's, it's an incredibly terrible situation and 
and there's a lot of legal rancor going on but you know ultimately there there are there, this is someone's business that's effectively and there are people running businesses and when you when you read his quote saying it's destroyed his mum and and dad who founded the company in 1977 and mm. you know and it's all come sort of cr- crashing down I mean it's absolutely heartbreaking um, I, I don't know whether Kevin is is alone in this I don't know whether this has happened to other dealers or Kevin's the first one to actually speak about it I don't know but it's just an incredibly sad situation and I hope um you know, it can be sorted out in a, in an agreeable way. Um, but yes, it wasn't. A, it, it was a story that we've been covering a lot this week. You know, keeping an eye on. And of course, John Bowman wrote the story. Our colleague John, and um, you know, it involved a lot of time on the phone uh, talking to Kevin. And um, yes, it's going to be one. To, it's going to be one to watch. But it was. Uh, it's a very sad story. Well, I don't know the facts behind the case, but I mean, I think a lot of contracts have that sort of fourth majeure that that break glass uh, break glass clause um i don't think that you'll find that this will be you know the status quo going forward i can't imagine you know, these finance companies using this with the oems as a sort of targeted way of reducing you know points of representation and in my experience normally you know notice is is honored and um you know the finance company works very closely with you to sort of do an effective wind down for everyone involved. Um, I'm sure there are some other things involved with this particular case um, that uh, perhaps meant that they needed to take a slightly different stance. So um, it's a a tricky one without the detail. Mm, Absolutely. I mean, you'd certainly hope this is not something that's going to be repeated. Um, But you can only feel sympathy for him really and his family. And indeed, employees, you know, I think they, they sold their, their um, premises to another dealership, effectively. That was what they had to do to stay afloat. Um, so it's a bit of a sorry, sorry tale, really. But one we'll be keeping an eye on as it makes its way through the appeals process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Over to James Batchelor. Well, I'm going to have to move on to um, probably the story you thought I was going to start off with, which I'm um, going to start off with that one, to be honest. But oh, right. no, <laughs> well, it's the it's it's the C word, which is of course kazoo. We've got to talk <sighs> about kazoo, haven't we? Um, we sort of urgently um, been waiting for these results, and I have to say they're even worse than I thought they were going to be, um, which is saying something, really, isn't it? But um, uh, yes, so if if people have have, have been not aware, Kazoo um, they posted their uh, half year results for this year, and their quarter two results. Um, the half year results showed that they've um, clocked up a two hundred and forty three million pound loss uh, for the six months ended June the thirtieth. Um, and that was a, a 141% increase on the 102 pounds, uh, million, not 102 pounds, but 102 million pound loss it made in the same period last year. Um, it has sold more cars, though, uh, for these last six months. Um, it shifted uh, just under 44,000 cars. That's 113% on the Twenty and a half thousand cars it sold in the first half of 2021. Um, now, uh, Kazoo made a big thing in their in their results, saying that their gross profit per unit, their average gross profit per unit, has gone up during this period from 
200 or oh, two to uh, sorry it's gone down I, sh I should say it's gone down to 226 pounds um but it was 315 pounds in the first half of 2021 so um so on average they're making 226 pounds per car they sell which when you consider the scale of their operation, the scale of investment they've put into this business, £226 profit per car is not a huge amount, is it? Mm. Um, but, um, I mean, the, the thing with this is, and of course, when we put this story out in our Facebook groups, of course, it uh, there was a lot of um, comment from, from people in the motor trade. It's probably our most read story all week. Actually. A lot of sympathy, I imagine. A lot, not a huge amount, no. Um, but um, uh, and also today, there's a story out on on Autocar saying um, that during an investor call, Alex Chesterman, the founder and CEO, said that there's a full strategic review of Kazoo's European business will take place. Um, in our story, we reported that Chesterman has also hinted at more cost cutting measures. I mean, the thing is, I mean, how much longer can this go on for? Um, you know, my personal view of Kazoo since it launched was that it was going to be here for the long term, you know, despite racking up enormous losses. And I still think it will be here for the long term. But you do have to wonder, how, can it continue taking these enormous losses? I mean, we reported not that long ago that, that Alex Chessman even said that, you know, there's speculation whether this company will ever make money. Um but I just don't understand how it, it can it, this can carry on, really. Um, and uh, I just I just wonder whether it's this is a very painful lesson in that, you know, car retailing is harder than um, outsiders uh, such as Kazoo think and whether growing too much too quickly can have its consequences. Um, I don't know what, what what you think, John, if you think something similar on this in this vein. <laughs> I think it's very difficult because I, um, having, you know, having made the Kazoo investigation video that we did a few months ago, um, I sort of, I, it's in my mind that maybe Kazoo will, you know, prosper, but it's going to take a long, long time and it will almost come without us noticing, you know, in that kind of Amazon-ish way where it's, well, okay, we all saw Amazon coming, but we perhaps didn't imagine Amazon would be quite so enormous as it is now. Because um, it was definitely not Amazon. I think it's far too niche and the products that it's selling are far too risky. Um, but I think, I mean, how many years are we into the Kazoo grand plan at the minute? Is it three mm. years? Is it two? I think the, the thing was always five, wasn't it? That was their plan was five years. Yeah. However, they have entered it into the market at a very strange time um so whether whether the world of coronavirus and everything else and insane used car values will affect it i don't know i mean what i will say is to me the the gross profit per unit jumping down not a great sign i don't think that's and it wasn't a particularly brilliant figure in the first place correct me if i'm wrong no um that doesn't spell brilliance for me and i think to me it's almost like alex chesterman should have got out and seized his money while it was a good time to do so because it's it's kind of had its high valuation you know that's it's never going to it's never going to peak to the the valuation that it initially offered i, I would imagine mm. it, was, it was never worth that to start with no, um, no. As, as a concept possibly i think alex is a 
Yeah, he's obviously a successful operator, but he's obviously a very good salesman as well. Mm. Um, and I think that you know, change management is hard when you're trying to strip out, you know, divisions, costs, people, and at the same time, grow your revenues to support, um, you know, more positive market sentiment. Um, it's very tricky, uh, and and I still don't see any used car experts in that business. I see lots mm. of technology people, but I don't see used car experts. And, and as you'll know, buying and selling and you know um, used cars is is an art. You know, mm. um, they they need a different strategy and they need to execute it quickly. I do think that your and I, and I think the market sentiment is not far off this because I actually think their share price over the last few weeks has started to climb back up again. Mm. I do wonder. Whereas if you park the seven billion valuation as a smaller company. You know, focus perhaps on the UK to start with, with the right team, they could still have a, you know, successful business. It's just going to look very different, I think, to what they perhaps originally thought it might, uh, it might do across Europe. I mean, obviously, you know, one of the, um, I mean, Kazoo has grown enormously in a very short space of time. It's acquired a number of businesses, one of um, whom is um, Drover, which is, of course, you know, arguably was the, the leader in, in uh, car subscription services in the UK, I mean they've they've now sold that. I mean it's it's, it's I don't think it's, it's any longer Drover. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it is. I mean, mm. do you think that's caused any problems in the car subscription world, Andrew, or do you think you know you know time moves on? No, I, I mean I think the way that Kazoo had it set up, I think it was probably quite capital intensive the way that they were doing it. Um. I think dealers are better placed because they're, you know, leasing companies. They've already got an infrastructure. You know, they're not. They've not got to acquire one. They've got drivers. They've got delivery methodology. They've got, you know, after sales, repairs, maintenance. It's all there. So I think as a bolt-on, what you're really missing is the technology. Um, I think Kazoo's acquisition um, made sense, but again, their execution was poor. I and mean, if you've ever searched to subscribe to a vehicle, it was very hard. It was poor choice, badly priced. Um, so it didn't really surprise me that it was one of the things that they ripped out because I would probably venture that it was one of the things they knew the least about. Um, and I think perhaps, you know, re-establishing what the core is, is, is the right strategy. Um, bit how I wouldn't be surprised if they do pull out of further European expansion. You know, you start one place and, 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 and get the model right and then expand. Um, and, and I think they've done it, you know, because they've had the money to in a slightly mm-hmm. sort of, you know, backwards way. Do you think they've perhaps expanded too quickly in terms of, I mean, that's effectively what you're saying, isn't it? They've kind of... You, you, get, you get to that point. I, I, someone once said um, that you become like a Swiss army knife where you do lots of things, but you don't do any of them really well. Mm. Um, and I think there's a little bit of that. Um, you know, if, if they could, as I say, refine their kind of their sweet spot, um, I, I'm sure that they could, um, yeah, they could build a successful business, albeit much smaller than uh, originally thought. I will just tack on to this rather than open it up as a new story. Of course, uh, we've also seen the appointment of a new CFO. So previously it was Stephen Marana, who's been with the company since July 2020. Uh, he's now gone. I don't know if it's related to this, might not be. Um, replaced by Paul Wolf, whose background is in a semiconductor firm. So again, not really a huge amount of automotive knowledge going on there. Well, and, and the other thing I was going to bolt on to this is, um, of course, this has come out in the same week that we've seen 
documents come out from Carzam, which sort of detail the state of the business when it went into administration. Um, and of course, I know that they are, in some ways, they, they were rivals, Carzam and Kazoo, but two very different operators. I mean, of course, you know, Peter Waddell, very much an in car, car industry guy, motor trade guy. Um, and it was just, uh, it's just pure coincidence, obviously, that they've come out at the same time. But it's just, it's just interesting how the, you know, the online disruptors, and I use that word in quote marks, um, you know, they're very much in the limelight this week. And, um, and of course, you know, both stories have come out onto our social media. I saw that um, Kazoo, obviously, once we put that out, a lot of people, you know, a lot of car dealers weren't weren't very sympathetic towards it. So, um, I, yeah, I it's just it's just it's just it's just amazing how it's just interesting to see the, the um, well, Rapid it's just interesting both come these, out the same week, know. really. Yeah, I, 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 one of the impacts that um, you know was important to sort of you know recognize is that when, when COVID hit, dealers had to really upskill very quickly in a sort of omni-channel digital way so i think that whole concept of online purchasing of used cars you know felt very kind of niche whereas i think there's a lot of good dealer groups out there that are offering that now you know, it's a great uh, you know digital experience the delivery is good they've got the expertise so i think everyone else has just got a lot better which therefore means that there was more pressure on um you know the likes of kazoo uh, mm. you know um, before We'll be right back. You want the best return from your advertising budget and CarGuru's Piston Heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Now, let's get back to the quiz. Um, I it's will you move now, isn't it? On. It is me. I'm going to move us on to something not related to Kazoo. Um, Toyota has threatened to pull UK car production if ban on new hybrids is accelerated. So this is regarding the, uh, the ban the government has put in place for 2035 for new hybrids you're not allowed to sell a new hybrid after that point it will have to be fully electric i think normal petrol power cars are 2030 if i've got that right yeah. something along those lines um but so as you were saying if you bring that forward which there are rumors swelling around that that might happen if that ban on hybrids is brought forward to 2030 toyota will just stop producing cars in the uk does that mean that they will stop if it stays at 2035 um presumably not that the suggestion is that perhaps they'll have an EV in the UK in production by that point. I'm not entirely sure. Um, to me, this is, well, it's an interesting story. Obviously, it's the the classic kind of business threatening the government a little bit. Um, to me, I don't think Toyota are particularly ahead, shall we say, in terms of EV adoption. I think They've done really well with hybrids, but I think they are hanging on a little bit too long. Um, you know, if you look at Nissan, okay, Nissan were miles ahead. You could argue perhaps too far ahead. But the Leaf has been in production in Sunderland since 2013 now. And we're, what, it's 2023 next year. So that'll have been on sale in this country and in production in this country for 10 years next year. Um, and Toyota are still faffing around with hybrids. It's not a fantastic state of affairs. 
Um, and in fact, Toyota have only just brought out their first EV, have they not? I'm not sure. Have you driven that batch? No, and I don't ask me what it's called because it's got that it's got that stupid name, hasn't it? So yes, <laughs> something XP. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> Some, no. It's basically BZ four squared. <laughs> TTFN or something I don't know it's it's something basically there's a Subaru version with a much easier to pronounce name that's mm. that's what I'm calling it yes 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 I know it's I I, I read this story as well and um I, the, the the thing with this is um you know we've we've heard these kinds of threats before I think Nissan did something similar with Brexit didn't they I Seem to well, remember Toyota did with Brexit as I understand. And Toyota, yes. So you know, car manufacturers they aren't immune. You know, they've got a track record of doing this kind of thing because, of course, they've got a lot of clout, as we know. But I do think it is. It's sort of. I don't know whether it's a bit futile because whilst the 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 current deadline is twenty thirty five, I think the next prime minister will be will be under a lot of pressure to bring this forwards and I think by Toyota raising that that issue it, it brings it into the spotlight again isn't it because I I don't think uh, I could be very wrong here but I don't think this issue has actually been spoken about recently the the potential for this ban to be brought forward to 2030 I think by no. Toyota actually coming out with this is actually oh actually yes oh yes <laughs> we are going to be banning hybrids in 2035 should we be bringing it forwards you know boys and girls um so I don't know whether it's it's sort of um, you know fate accompli here. I don't know, but I, I just think the government is going to be under a huge amount of pressure to do anything. And of course, as we've seen time and time again, it is the car industry where they like to make big announcements mm. and forgetting all the other industries, which um, you know they they do need a, a, you know some some some, a, some you know some stiffer targets to to reach to reach carbon net zero, don't they? So. Mm. I think I think Toyota's had a their approach. They've got a much wider strategy. They, they, they're actually big with hydrogens. Only a couple of OEMs that have sort of you know pinned any real future to to that. Um, I actually wondered whether the deadline would get pushed further back because the infrastructure, you know, the supply of raw materials, um, you know, just training enough technicians to service the cars. I I, I, I know it's a bit controversial, but I actually don't see how you can deliver a 2030 or before based on where we are right now. So unless they increase investment, I still think battery um, electric vehicles is the way forward. But um, personally, I could see it going the other way. Well, I mean, I, th I think I think what you're saying there, Andrew, is, is, is things which a lot of people are thinking, um, really. Um, and also, let's not forget, we could go through, you know, one or possibly two, probably another one or two, but, another, you know, another two governments between now and 2030. So you just don't know what's going to happen, do you? But I think any government that does say, right, we're going to, you know, that that deadline we've told everyone to stick to in 2030, mm. we're going to push it back by 10 years or two years or five years. And it's going to be a very difficult policy to actually get through, isn't it? But, but you do raise an interesting point and one that I have considered myself, which is, you know, we've, nobody nobody predicted covid and um whilst you know everyone's uh you know there's a new car shortage but that's that's you know time is still marching on to 2030 isn't it and um you know and we're going through a cost of living crisis and that's probably only going to get worse isn't it are people actually going to be able to afford to buy a brand new electric car in 2030 in you know mere seven seven years time 
Mm. Who knows? And the prices, I think, of ICE will drop because they're going to be on run out. I think the average age of a car on our roads at the moment is over nine years, which would suggest that they could be very popular at the very last minute. And therefore, you'll have a much longer lead time um, with, uh, you know, without these alternative fuel vehicles. I do think electric is very forward. Um, I'm just not sure it would be as quick as everyone suggests. Mm. I mean, the, the other factor that I've kind of seen floating around is the suggestion that as, um, you know, what are we on, Euro 6D or something, as those emissions regulations become more and more intense, the price gap between EVs and IC, ICE cars will uh, shorten because it will become so expensive to produce something that matches these emission regulations where you have to have, you know, particulate filters on petrols and obviously everything has to be slightly hybridized to get under the co2 regulations and da, 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 da. at a certain point an ev will just re tip over to the point of being cheaper than um an internal combustion engine car i'm not sure we're near to that but it's it can't be too long in a way i think it's all about the supply of the raw materials you know mm -hmm. that you know that they're all in parts of the world that the west doesn't control um and those markets will serve themselves first. Um, so I, yeah, it, it will be a really interesting one to see how that all plays out um, to see what happens to both price points. Mm. Over to you, James Batchelor. Um, right, I'm going to move on to used cars, um, which uh, we had something out from the eBay Motors Group um, this week saying that cars under two years old and priced at more than £20,000 hit the sweet spot for dealers in July. The average advertised price of a sub two-year-old car in July increased by 3.5% month on month to uh, just over £34,000. It was the only age segment to increase in value um, against an overall 1.1% drop in prices to an average used car selling price of £16,841. Um, if anyone's interested, the fastest uh, selling car on motors.co.uk uh, last month was um, the BMW 1 Series, a diesel, mm. a dirty diesel was the fastest to sell, um, and it took on average 15.1 days to sell. Um, the thing with all of this, though, and we've, we've spoken a lot, we're, we're having this parent, you know, constant conversation with, with industry experts, you know, we're always talking to CAPHPI, and the thing we always talk about with, with our, our monthly used car update with cap hpi is that you know there are these little kind of um areas where you know there is the sort of random uptick um in terms of price and demand and then other sectors are actually quite you know depleted and they've you know they've actually had quite a big fall um but um you know whilst you know this has obviously been a, a, a sweet spot for car dealers this month according to ebay um, you know, cars under two years old priced at more than £20,000. You know, the overall picture at the moment is that, you know, prices are on the come down a little bit. You know, older stock is still being listed. Um, some of those cars are taking quite a long time to sell, um, despite the fact that there's still a huge amount of demand from, from, from used car buyers. So, 
um, you know, the, the thing, and it's, it's a very interesting story and we always like facts like this and we, it's interesting to see those little, those little sectors and cars that are still selling well. But, you know, let's not forget that it's still a very mixed picture out there and in dealers are struggling to get stock, but some dealers are, you know, actually struggling to sell some cars in some parts of the country. So, you know, it is a very mixed view, but I think the, the general view is that, you know, prices are softening but demand is still high because of the, the new car um, shortage. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a huge surprise that late plate cars, i.e. sub two year year old cars, that's effectively it, isn't it? Yes. It's not a huge surprise that that sector is doing well, is it? Because if, <laughs> well, presumably at some point, everyone's PCP is going to come to an end and what they're going to do about it, they need to go and find something, even if it's not strictly what they really wanted, they'll, go and find an acceptably priced uh, three-year-old one series or something rather than a brand new one. Mm. Uh, to me, it's not a huge shock. I mean, but you're right. There's, I think the thing with these stories is they change every month almost, don't they? There's always some peculiarity of which vehicle is the best seller in that particular month. And there's almost no rhyme or reason to it in no. a way. Just um, Andrew, I mean, uh, do you think, I mean, cars under two years old, you know, late plate cars. I mean, those cars are probably ripe for a car subscription, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, it, you know, if you think about the concept of, you know, a new vehicle, um, you know, re registering it, you know, potentially getting some discount, putting it out on subscription, you know, taking it back off a customer for say, you know, six, 700 pounds a month and putting it straight back out for 500 pounds a month because it's a year old or two years or three years. And ultimately you open up to a, you know, a whole new market. It's the same vehicle. It's well looked after. Dealers have got um, you know, access to, you know, telematics. So they've got access to more about used cars than they've ever had. I mean, normally they'll talk about mileage, condition, number of drivers. Um, but actually we're moving away from that um, and, you know, Loop especially is looking at you know, more data points to tell you more about these vehicles to give you the confidence to keep them for longer. Um, and a lot of these vehicles drop off. Uh, I think it's sort of you know sixty to seventy percent of vehicles drop off into the sort of aftermarket out of the dealer franchise world. So keeping them in subscription um, brings lots of benefits. So I think yeah, two, you know, two-year-old cars um, you know, is, is is a sweet spot for sure. And I think those prices that, you know, that, that are softening, I, I still think, I think I read somewhere that they're still 20% up on this time yeah. last year. Mm -hmm. um, and, and people also talk about the used car market as if it's one big market, but actually, as you've highlighted, it's quite nuanced. It's made up of lots and lots of small markets um, and understanding the difference between them, I think, is why you'll often find those that make really good money and those that don't. Yeah, and you, you make a very good point there. Yes, prices are softening, but... You know, used car prices went up by 30% last year. So they've got to do a hell of a lot more softening to actually ever come back to yeah. where they where they were. And, and that's not going to happen anytime soon because of the reasons which we we know and we don't have to explain why. But yeah, yeah. Mm. Moving right. on to you, John. Can I just say at this point, I've now run out of stories. If that has have any you? bearings, if that has any bearing on your next ones, because you you stole two of mine. So oh, I'm so sorry. Um <laughs> Oh, I've got a few to pick from. Um, I'm going to go with, I'm probably going to realise I've got a better one, but I'm going to go with our interview with Auto Trader boss Nathan Coe on the biggest threats to car dealers. Um, so this was part of our 
I don't think we we haven't put a video up of it, but as as part of our interviews for the Also Trader video that we put out at the end of last week, um, which you should all go and watch, by the way, if you haven't already, it's in a very prominent position on our homepage, so you can't miss it. Um, as part of our interview with Nathan, um, we covered lots of different things, but James has written this up into a um, into a story in itself, and there's quite a few interesting headlines from this um, about where auto trader sees the market going in the next few years. One is, um, you know, the, the role of online sales. So as far as they're concerned, it's going to be clicks and bricks or bricks and mortar, as he puts it. Um, did I say clicks and mortar, not bricks and mortar. Clicks it's and bricks or clicks like, and mortar. We sort of know what you're talking about. You know about, what I mean. Worry. It's very late on a Thursday. Do, do um, you know, Andrew, do you note this, that um, John here can't, you know, he speak. He can't yeah. speak. So that's points against him, really. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that may affect my score at the end. Um, effectively, he his belief is that um, about five to six percent of car sales are made without an interaction with a physical dealership. And over time, that might grow to 10 or 15 percent. So it's an increase, but not a massive increase. The bit I am going to talk about, though, a bit more in depth is the role of electric vehicles, which, of course, we love to talk about here on the podcast, mm. particularly me. Um, so he believes that electric vehicles will shake up how the industry performs, both in new and used car dealerships. Um, and I quote, I do think electric vehicles are going to come at us very, very quickly, he said. Certainly as a new car retailer, if you're not good at electric vehicles, you could find yourself caught out very quickly. For anyone that's in used cars, it's easy not to be thinking about electric now because they make up such a small proportion of the car park. But the reality is at some point in the next 10 years, EVs are going to be the sorts of cars that you need to be good at selling. Um, and I will disagree with him on this only because I think you need to be good at selling them right now. And I can say this because I've been shopping for an EV over the last two weeks. Have you really? Um, I have. Well, not me personally, but oh, my wife right. has. Um, so we've been looking at all these Nissan Leafs all over the place. And let me tell you, trying to buy a Nissan Leaf is not very easy because a lot of sellers do not understand the products that are in front of them. And that's no no fault of the dealers because it's a, it's a completely new world and it's a completely different thing. But one example, a Leaf is a relatively simple car. You know, it's, mm. it's a hatchback. It's been on yeah. sale for the last decade, whatever. But there's, there's various features that you can get, things like, uh, so for example, the standard Leaf comes with a three kilowatt charger, which yes. doesn't mean anything to most people, but effectively a three kilowatt charger is so outdated yeah. um, that if you plug it into your house, it will take nine hours to charge the car. You don't want that. You want the optional extra six kilowatt charger. Has anyone mentioned the car has a six kilowatt charger anywhere in their adverts? No, absolutely no mention of it whatsoever. So, you know, if you're a buyer, as we were going, well, we definitely want the six kilowatt charger because we don't have nine hours to charge the car. You are looking for that feature and no one is mentioning it at all. The other thing is battery health. Nobody seems to have a, a you know, an understanding of battery health. Then it's the kind of, it's when you get to the dealership itself, you know, and you'll walk through the car. I think there's, there's still a lot of, a lack of understanding about um, EVs, battery size, charging speed, anything like that, mileage. You know, we were shown around the car by, a very nice gentleman at a Nissan dealership. He said it had a 40 kilowatt hour battery. It doesn't as a 24 kilowatt hour battery. Slight mm. difference there. So there's all these sorts of things where you just think you it's it's sort of 
it's not just a problem for the customer it's a problem for the you know the dealership as well because you're potentially selling a car that's worth much more than it is by virtue of having a bigger battery or a longer range or you know a faster charger and it's these are just three examples of the differences between that and a petrol car where it makes a big difference on price no i th- sorry you go, you go ahead Andrew. No. i think the industry for a while has not invested in you know suitable training for you know new salespeople. I, I you know the, the old adage of you know here's a desk here's a phone you know targets 12 a month um you know I, I still think is quite prevalent and you talk about selling software now not hardware so to your point you, know, you are an educated consumer that knows more than the person that's trying to sell you the car mm. you know that doesn't put you in the right sort of purchasing move does it at that point no you want these people to be experts while you're going there and i'm i'm hoping that you know there's a lot more investment in bringing that skill set up because I think it will help EV conversion. I think that is quite, I think it's quite worrying that you say that about Nissan dealers, uh, yeah. John. I mean, because it's not as if the leaf is, is new. I mean, it's been around for, for 10 years. So if, if dealers, if salespeople can't get their heads around the leaf, then, you know, that is, that's very worrying, but just playing devil's advocate here for a second. I mean, if you are looking for an electric car, isn't there an argument to be said that you should be going to an EV specialist used car dealer? Because, because you know a lot about the product, you've exactly what you've just said about the different types of, you know, three kilowatts, seven kilowatts, you know, seven kilowatt hour, 24 kilowatt hour batteries, because you know so much about it. Wouldn't you rather have an experience with a used car dealer who is specializing in used cars? I mean, are we asking a little bit too much of virtually every single used car dealer in the land to sort of start to get on board with selling electric cars? Partially, um, but I I think, I don't think you want to pigeonhole yourself as a, you know, you're never going to stock an EV unless you're a specialist, do you? Because Mm -hmm. it is coming very quickly. And, you know, more and more, as I would say, normal people are looking at EVs because of the cost of petrol and they just simply can't afford to do their commutes anymore. And an EV is, at the moment, a more affordable way of doing it. Um, what I will say as well is from the, the EV specialists that I've seen on Autotrader, a lot of them suffer from the same problem. They're not listing, I know this is a very niche, well, it's not a niche thing, the, the charger. I think it's quite an important thing. It's almost like um, listing the wrong engine to an extent on the on the listing on auto trader you know they are even the ev specialists are not listing the the proper spec of these cars they're just sort of, it's almost like they've sort of a few of them have set up they've decided to exclusively sell evs but they're perhaps not quite there with the knowledge yet mm. or perhaps they think it's i don't know not not kind of understanding the importance of some features i think it is an interesting point though that i think at the moment if you are considering particularly a used electric car i think you're going to be very educated and you're going to read up exactly all the specification details of the car because Mm. of course you know you're going to have the infrastructure at your house to charge it up you know that there's a lot more that goes into buying an electric car to make sure it fits your lifestyle isn't there as opposed Mm. to you know just going you know if you go to a used car dealer and you're you go you've gone to go and see a vw polo you know 1.4 and it turns out to be a 1.2 yes you would be a little bit annoyed that it's the wrong engine but you mm. know the dealer might be able to convince you that the 1.2 is fine for your needs and it's not going to be a problem is it whereas mm. if an electric car's got the totally the wrong battery in it or it's got an entirely different charger in it 
that's a bit of a problem. So I would imagine that virtually every, well, not virtually every single, but a high proportion of electric car buyers in the youth sector are very well, well, they're very knowledgeable about the car they want to buy. Mm. And I think the flip side of it is when they're not that knowledgeable, because if I, you know, if, if we'd gone to that, that dealership and had been told it's got a 40 kilowatt hour battery, we'd be thoroughly confused. You know, if, if we'd asked them, okay, well, how quickly does it charge? They need to be able to tell me how quickly it charges. They need to be able to tell me how long the battery in it, you know, it's a 2015 car, how much long, what's the life left in it? You know, they just don't know the answers to these questions at the moment because it's all partially because it's all a bit mysterious. Mm. Um, but partially, I think, because it's it's still sometimes seen as a bit niche. I will say, I mean, we bought our particular car in the middle of Lincolnshire. So it's not exactly an EV hotspot. You know, perhaps if we'd gone to, you know, Westway or something, um, they'd be a lot more geared up towards it. But it was a franchise dealer at the end of the day. And they've just had the new delivery of Aria. So they're all very excited about that. But not really not really there with the knowledge yet and i think that i mean you're talking about potentially like innovators early adopters of electric vehicles but if you want to convert the mass market mm. they're likely to come in with a lot less knowledge and therefore mm. you know it's not just then about how do we sell you the car you know expect a question about well how do i charge it at home and what mm. type of charger should i have and that's why i think the dealers need to evolve in terms of what they're offering to make it very simple for someone to you know convert to an EV um, so knowledge is going to get much broader uh, and, and, and much more uh, in depth. Interesting very interesting. Do you want to throw another story batch are you calling throwing the well, towel? No I haven't no I haven't got anything else to add because I'm just relieved that you were talking about um, a proper first-hand experience by an electric car I thought we were going to be I thought me and Andrew were going to be uh, you know we're just going to listen to uh, a two-minute you know, rant about the Mazda MX-30, I thought, but obviously not. Well, while I'm here. <laughs> no. Yes, no, that's over. That's gone. It's a very nice car, Mazda, if you're listening. Um, right, so um, where are we up to? No more stories. So, no more stories. Andrew, I think before yeah. we ask you for a verdict, is there anything you think we've missed? Well, just quickly, I do like the husband and wife team that have been selling cars out of their back garden as an alternative retailing model. Um, I also like the um, the Bentley dealer that is um, currently in a bit of trouble for selling and fitting um, a tow bar for a individual to pull a caravan, which mm. um, she's then rejected, uh, which yeah. is interesting. Um, and, and really just strong, strong results for the prestige brand. So it's, I think it's highly notable that the likes of Ferrari and Lamborghini aren't suffering in the same way everyone else is. Um, so I think they're the extra bits. In. Yes, I'm surprisingly divested the husband and wife team being fined £11,000, was it, for operating inside their front room? No, it's quite remiss of us there. I wonder whether they're EV specialists. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> I, want, I, want, I wonder if that's an Alex Chesterman future business model. <laughs> <laughs> startup life yeah um right i'm gonna to have to ask you then who do you think is the winner i'm going to go with um the um the network restructuring around um mr Mackey and rci terminating because uh, i think that that has wider implications if it's not as nuanced as it might be. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's one to note. 
Well, well it's uh, lovely to have you on, Andrew. Thank you very much. I mean, story, so it made it slightly harder for me. Uh, well, thank you for uh, declaring me the winner. That's um, you can come back definitely. <laughs> um, well, on that note, all that's left for me to say is thank you to Andrew for judging today. It's been wonderful to have you on, particularly as you've chosen me. Uh, thank you as well to Batch for competing, and thank you for listening. We won't be back next week as we're having a little summer break, uh, but make sure you're subscribed so you can be notified when we do actually put an episode out. If you're listening on Spotify, don't forget you can swipe up now and vote on who you think won. Um, and if you want to check out the stories we mentioned today, you can click the links in the show notes below or head to cardinemagazine.co.uk, which obviously you should do anyway. Thanks again. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>